morning will be Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 51. Again, that's Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 to 51. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles, that's located on page 875. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give, him, to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. It is good to see uh, that the parking lot is getting further and further along to completion and the back, and we're thankful for that. And we're also thankful for those of you that are parking in the 2040 uh, building and walking across. That is a blessing uh, not only to, to the rest that need to park closer, but it's also a blessing to our guests. And we're thankful that you're doing that. And hopefully uh, in a week or so, uh, the need will not be as great uh, to do that. Also, as already mentioned, the prayer, uh, praying for our elders and uh, big decisions and things that have to be made and uh, shepherding that, that is done. It, being a leader in the Lord's church is a great responsibility, and our elders and deacons and ministers will meet this afternoon at 430. I encourage you to continue to pray for them. Uh, there, there are a lot of things that are good and God just continues to open up doors and opportunities and uh, just continue to pray that God's will is done. Nothing more and nothing less than God's will to be done in this place. We just had a scripture reading that, that was read to us that was very interesting about service as it looked at a servant. And this morning, I want you to be thinking about the fact, are you ready? Are you ready for the Lord's second coming? And why? Why be ready? It's obvious that we would want to be ready because we want to go to heaven. We want eternal life. But are there other motives that we ought to have as well as that? In other words, to be ready today. Just to get you thinking and to plant that seed of thought in your mind. Bud Lambert over the last several years has helped us realize that hurt people hurt people. When you have a brother or sister in Christ that gossips about you, it's because they're hurting. They're insecure. They're not healthy spiritually. Hurt people hurt people. When you have a a co-worker at work that stabs you in the back, they're not a healthy person. They're hurting. It's like the the dog that's been injured and the the owner goes over to care for it and, and he snaps at his own owner. Why? Because he's hurting and hurt people hurt people. But this morning, I want you to see the flip side of that coin. Healthy people help people. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord wants you to be ready for a second coming because if you are, you're healthy. Healthy people can help people. 
This morning, we want to talk about spiritual therapists, individuals that are healthy enough to help other people. Before we do that, I'm going to mention several things to you, and I'm only going to mention them. And if you want to know more about them, you'll have to go elsewhere to find out more because I simply don't have time to elaborate. But I want to remind you of some very, very important things. Number one, the Timothy Hill Children's Ranch Breakfast in the Nashville area is coming up this Saturday, November 5th. It's at the Nashville Marriott the airport Marriott, and it'll begin at nine o'clock. If you'd like to know more about that or to sign up uh, to let us know, uh, you can see me, you can see the Englands, uh, you can call us at the church office tomorrow, but as soon as you can, that would be good because plans are being made already about that. I know there are a lot of congregation, a lot of connection in this congregation with that great work. Second, we want to remind you the sedan work. It just continues to do great good. We want to encourage you to continue to do great good. There's still a lot of boxes to fill with medication and we understand that medication is expensive, but we also understand that a lot of medication fits in the boxes and the boxes are going to be shipped and we want to ship full containers. And so if, if you're able to continue giving, maybe you've already brought in some of the over-counter prescriptions, if you can bring in our medication, if you can bring in more, uh, please continue to do that. We really would love to fill these boxes up for the good. Also, you may have read in the bulletin this week, it's amazing that now will be the third week that a Sudanese congregation in the Nashville area has been planted and we're the overseeing congregation of this great work. Of the Sudanese population in America, we have the second highest population here in America. And there are thousands that have been baptized in Ethiopia or other places where they sought refugee. Uh, and, and now they are here in America and we want to provide them a place to worship and also reach out to help them grow and mature. Next month, we think about gratitude, and, and we want to honor our teachers. We are thankful for our teachers. There'll be a teacher's appreciation dinner. It'll be on the 12th of November. Teachers, you can look in your classrooms this morning for more information. If you have taught over the past year, please be sure and either contact Tim Martin, uh, email or phone, or you can see in the classrooms for more information about that. Speaking of Tim Martin, we announced to you a few weeks ago that he was going to begin. He's been with us now two full weeks, and we are so thankful for this man. He has come in and hit the ground running and doing a tremendous job. He has great love for the Lord, for the scriptures, and for teaching. And we're glad that he's here and the great good that he's doing. Also, we want to remind you of another Great appreciation that we have and it's for our veterans. And so we're going to have a Veterans Day breakfast again this year. It'll be, of course, on Veterans Day, the 11th, and it'll be at 8 a.m. Uh, David Hughes is going to be our speaker. He's a brother in Christ. He has served three deployments in recent years. In his last deployment in Afghanistan, he was wounded severely and it, he had to retire from the military as a result of an IED. And he doesn't come saying, wow, listen to how horrible my story is. He doesn't even think that he's worthy to tell his story, but he comes because we've asked him to and because he loves his country and he loves God. And he speaks of the real heroes and that's all of the veterans that serve this country and those especially are serving right now. The past few years, this has been a tremendous morning. We have a lot of guests from the community because you invite them and it, it always, as folks are leaving, there just cannot be enough praise for the day. Uh, there will be postcards either tonight or Wednesday night uh, allowing you to use these as invitations uh, to invite to this. We want to honor you your spouse, your, if you're a widow or widower of a veteran, and we want to honor those also in the community that fall into those categories. So please help us get the word out about that. As we think about touching our community, uh, I have here two 
letters that I will not read uh, them in its entirety, but one is from the Mount Juliet Police Department and talks about the appreciation that we did on We Are the Sermon Day, the work that we did. And uh, Andy Garrett, the chief of police, at the end of his letter says, I know it was not easy work, but all stepped up and got the project complete. And the shooting range has never looked so good. At the very close of Nancy Armstrong, the director of our Mount Juliet Library, her very closing uh, sentence or two is this, your congregation has modeled the heart of Christ in its willingness to go out into the community and serve. Isn't it wonderful that we serve and Christ gets the glory? And that's exactly, exactly what we want to do. We want to promote Christ. If anyone in this community is going to promote Christ, it must be us. It must be us. There is no plan B. Therapist. How many of you here are either in school for some area of therapy or you are a therapist by occupation? Raise your hand. How many of you? Oh, yeah. There's several hands around. How many of you sometime in your life you have gone to a therapist, whether it be speech or vocational or occupational or or physical therapy? Raise your hands. Raise your hands high. Look around. Isn't that amazing how many of us in this room and in our community, we have benefited by someone else who had strength, knowledge, skills, and willingness to get involved in our life and help us to accomplish more than what we would have probably been able to accomplish on our own. I want to give you just a few quick definitions of therapy, and this is especially thinking about from the, the field of physical therapy. They provide service that helps restore function, improve mobility, relieve pain, and prevent or limit permanent physical disabilities. And that paragraph goes on. And then it says treatment offer includes exercise for patients, and then skipping down to uh, further increase flexibility, range of motions, to improve strength, balance, coordination, endurance. This last sentence. Their goal is to improve how an individual functions at work or at home. In other words, the very idea that there are people in our society that whenever we are hurting, whenever we need healing, these individuals are there to say, we can help you improve. If you allow us into your life, we can strengthen you in whatever area it is that our therapy involves. A little question for all of you, especially that are in the occupation. Where does that word come from? Where does the English word therapy or therapist come from? Isn't it neat that it's a Greek word? It's a Greek word that comes from therapia. And it's a word that you might be real surprised that you read that word this morning as our scripture was so capably read. Did you notice back in Matthew, the 24th chapter, I'd like for you to look at verse 45 again, and you're probably going to be surprised at where, uh, how this word in Greek is used and how it seemed to be best translated into English. Notice here again in 45, and, and, and just in case, I want us to be real clear. We got a lot of ground to cover this morning. Don't get nervous. We're going to try our best to do it. All right. But, but I want you to listen real carefully here because we got a lot of ground to cover. As he talks about therapy here, it's probably not a word that we would expect because he's going to talk about a good servant and he's going to talk about a wicked servant. He's going to talk about what a good servant does. And notice this in 45. Who then is faithful and wise servant? That's what we want to be, right? Faithful and wise servant because we're talking about being immersed into service whom his master made ruler 
over his household. That's the word right there, household. To give them food in due season. You say, that just can't be. It is. This word is four times in the New Testament. Two times it's translated healing. And two other times it's translated household. In other words, it's the idea as we think about therapy and healing is natural. But how does this word therapia translate into household? What is the household of God supposed to be? We, as we have sometimes heard, we are a hospital for sinners, not a haven for saints. That's exactly the way this word is used here. If there is a place that is to be a place of healing, you can come here and you can find the nurturing, the encouraging, but also the healing where people will get involved in your life. Who would do that? A wise and a faithful servant would look at the household of God, his kingdom, and realize that I have a place here. What's my place? My place is to serve. Oh, I know why you need to serve. Because you want to be ready when Jesus comes. Yes, but there's another reason why you want to serve. If we aren't serving, that is helping others to heal, they're not going to be ready when Jesus comes either. And so our place is of great service. Friends, who have you helped this past week or the prior week spiritually? Who have you helped to be encouraged, to grow? Are we fulfilling this? What does the Lord require of us? For a few minutes this morning, and then we'll come back and just make a few closing comments from this. I want you to see who is our Lord. I want you to see how He dealt with some individuals just prior to this text that were not doing a good job of being therapists. And then notice how he gives a teaching that we've just read in response to them not doing a good job. So who is our Lord? Let's back up and let's go back to Luke in Luke the fourth chapter. You remember early in Jesus' ministry, he goes in to his hometown of Nazareth. And of course, they think he's simply the son of Joseph and of Mary, and they do not recognize that Jesus is the son of God. And so as he would oftentimes do in 16, as was his custom, he went in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And 17, when he walked in, they handed him a scroll of Isaiah, and they asked him to read and worship that Saturday morning on the Sabbath in the synagogue. And notice what he read in 18. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recovery and to and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all were in the synagogue fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus, tell us why you came to this earth. And he he opens up the book of Isaiah and he says, I've come to be a healer. I've come to make people's lives better. I've come to be a spiritual therapist. And the truth is, many times he used physical therapy in order to make his point that he had the power to help them spiritually. Here in the text that we just read, he said, I've come to those who are poor and I've come to bring them the gospel. 
They are in poverty spiritually. They don't have knowledge. They're in famine in knowledge. And he says, I've come to give them what they need. They are in captivity. They are brokenhearted. I've come to comfort them. I've come to unlock their shackles. They are blind. They need the door open so that they can see. They are being oppressed. And I'm going to be the strong one that lifts the strong men off of those who are being oppressed. And I'm going to help the oppressed stand up again. Note that. We're going to see this in just a minute. Jesus, who are you? When we look through Jesus' life, on these next few slides, we're not going to read them. I just want you to notice on these next few slides, look at these miracles. Notice how many of them tied in to making lives better. We see throughout the first and the second year, and even the third year of his ministry, he was all about resurrections and giving sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. He was about giving strength to those who were paralyzed. He was about taking those who had leprosy and cleansing them. And and even the very last week of his life, you remember before his death, just hours uh, before he, uh, as he was being arrested, remember he takes Malchus's ear and he places it back on after Peter cuts it off. Why? Jesus was one that if you were around him, he was going to attend. And this is definition of therapist. He was going to attend to you to have cure, to be made well, to have your needs fulfilled. That's what the Lord describes as his household. His house is a place to come to have your needs fulfilled. But when Jesus walked upon this earth, there were so many individuals who were not doing that. As a matter of fact, they were doing just the opposite of that, and they were the spiritual leaders Now, we're going to turn to Matthew, the 23rd chapter. And if just to remind you, our text is at the end of Matthew, the 24th chapter. I believe this morning we will actually gain more from the text that we're studying if we back up and we see what the setup was for this text. Now, if tonight was not a fifth Sunday... We would come back tonight and we would develop this text thoroughly. But, but for this morning, I want us to take the time to say, what led Jesus to this? First, we see Jesus. He was the great healer. He came to this earth to nurture. He served people to help them. And then as he's on this earth, he's got his apostles that's going to be the leader of the church in the future. And yet they're looking at the present day leaders of the religion of Judaism. Who were they? They were Pharisees. They were horrible leaders. They could not fall under that description of therapia at all. They didn't take care of the household of God. Look with me in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, and let's scan some things only to see how Jesus describes these leaders as he's saying to his apostles, don't be like these people. These are terrible leaders. Why are they terrible? Let's go and let's look at Matthew 23 and verse 3. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not according to their works, for they say and do not do. You see, he says, they'll teach you the law. Go ahead and do the law, but don't do what they do because they'll teach you one thing and do something else. But then in verse 4, he talks about the heavy burdens that they put on individuals. See, that's talking about the traditions. That's not the law of God. And it says, they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. In other words, they'll put these heavy traditions on you, but they won't keep them themselves. They'll teach you the law of the Lord, but they won't keep it themselves. What kind of leader is this? 
a horrible leader that is not beneficial to the good work of the Lord. Verse 5, but all their works they do to be seen of men. You see, that's where it lies. They are not servants to help other people. They're servants, so they will look good. Now, let's skip down and see the problem, which, by the way, the verses we're skipping talks all about their arrogance, talks about them wanting to have special clothes, them wanting to have special seats, them wanting to have special titles, call me father, and and the Lord rebukes them strongly for all of those things. In other words, we are all servants. We're all on the same level. There is no such thing in the scriptures as clergy and laymen. Those are created terms by man that Jesus Christ condemns strongly. Why? Because that is not an environment that heals people. That's an environment that creates class and arrogance. We are all servants to serve each other. We are to make this place a place of healing for everyone. Now, with that in mind, he says, let me show you some things that they're doing wrong. And and we begin the woe statements here. 13, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourself and do not allow those who are entering in. Can you imagine that? He says, you're the leaders, Pharisees, you're the leaders. And you shut the door, you're not going in the kingdom. And because you shut the door, anybody that listens to you, They're not going in the kingdom either. And then he gives a second woe statement in 14. He says, uh, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. You remember a while ago, Jesus says, I've come to give relief to those who are oppressed. This is exactly what he's talking about here. These individuals, under their name of their, the power of their religion as leaders, they misuse that power to take advantage of widows. They literally were stealing the homes from widows. And then when they got ready to pray, they would pray real long prayers. Not because they had a lot to say to God, because they wanted to be, have the pretense that they were very religious people. He's calling them out and saying, stop oppressing the people. Jesus came to this earth to make sure that, that the strong would not be oppressing others. We go to 15 and we see another problem. He tells them that when... Uh, they, they travel all over the land and sea in 15 to win one proselyte. And when they're one, you make him twice as much the son of hell. In other words, you go out to win somebody, but what are you bringing them to? Are you helping them be cured of sin? Are you helping heal them? No. Now, now they are just twice as much on the road to damnation. In 16, he mentions that they're blind guides. Imagine that, the blind leading the blind. That's not what spiritual leadership should be about. If we're going to create an environment that can help. I want you to imagine, there's a lot of hands that went up a few minutes ago, said, how many of you have been helped by a therapist? Imagine if you'd have gone to that therapist thinking that they knew how to help you and they knew nothing that would be beneficial for you. Can you imagine how horrible it would be for weeks and months later to be in worse condition than when you'd gone? The blind leading the blind. That's what's happening here spiritually. And the fifth one in verse 23, they were paying tithes of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, such as justice and mercy and faith. Now he says, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. You see, Jesus wasn't saying, don't worry about tithing the small things. You ought to give back to the Lord on your birthday money. Well, it was only $25 I got for birthday. You ought to give on it. You ought to give on the huge dividends when you get a $2,000 check in the mail. You ought to give to the Lord. 
In other words, the Lord's not saying, oh, oh, don't worry about the small things. All I'm concerned about is the big things. And then he says, not only what you give back to the Lord, he says, I'm concerned about justice. How did you treat people this week? Were you just? What about, what about mercy? When people mistreated you, were you merciful? And then faith, your relationship with God and mankind, have you been faithful? And so imagine this. He's saying to the, to the hypocrites, the Pharisees, he says, you have brought cement and you have laid a tenth of that mint uh, out of your herb garden. You've laid it on the altar and you said, I'm everything God wants me to be. And you're not just, you're not merciful, and you're not faithful. He says, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to do the small things. And then Jesus says, there's some things that are big things. And you need to do the big things like justice and mercy and faith. These were the religious leaders of the day that were hurting the people so much. He talks in 25 how they went through their ceremonial washings of a cup, so they made the outside clean, but the inside was full of extortion. Remember, they were stealing the widow's houses and also of self-indulgence, of greed and gluttony and drunkenness. And then in 27, it's the same concept of the whitewashed tombs. The tombstones are real pretty, but on the inside, it's decayed bones, talking about their uncleanliness of their heart. And then in 29 and 30, he talks about the fact that they would say, our fathers before us killed the prophets. If we were alive back then, we wouldn't have killed the prophets, is what they say. But then he skips down in 34 and he prophesies, oh yes, you would have killed the prophets because you're about to crucify the Son of God. Where does that leave Jesus? Isn't it amazing that looking over Jerusalem in this state, Jesus then does this in 37. He goes and he looks over Jerusalem in this state and he cries, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? I want to take care of you. Jerusalem, I want to pull you into safety. I want to nurture you. I want to cure you of your sickness of sin. I want to make for you a better life. But at that time, they didn't want it. But notice the heart. Jesus was one who always wanted to offer healing. The Pharisees were the ones that instead always offered harm. And so it's with this in mind that we go into the 24th chapter where the apostles say, can you tell us more about your second coming and about the destruction of, Jesus, of, of Jerusalem? Now notice this. He's just set the stage of these people that are hurting and hurting other people. And now he says, you want to talk about my second coming? I will blend these two topics. And I will give you three parables that you can see how you can be prepared for the second coming, but you also can help other people be prepared for the second coming. And so the parable that was just read, are you going to be the wise and faithful servant or the wicked servant? And the very next parable, ignore the chapter break there going into 25. It, it shouldn't be right there. And the very next parable that, that, that he, he tells is, let me tell you about five young women that were ready for the second coming and five that weren't ready. And the very next story, let me tell you about 
when the master was gone, I gave talents. And I gave some five and some two. And one, I gave one talent. And let me tell you how they used their talents to bless others. And in so doing, they received a blessing from the master. Except for the one that didn't use his talent to bless others, wasn't blessed. And neither were others. So what's the point? Let's go back to this text again. I'd like for you to read with me again in the 24th chapter. And now with all that in mind, notice what he says in verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master has made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Who's going to give them the spiritual food they need? Who is is going to be able to offer that therapia? It's going to have to be someone who's a good and a wise servant. In other words, when we look at these next three slides, look at 1 Corinthians 12, and you'll just have to look on the screen. We're not, go to the next one. And, and um, notice here, notice how in 1 Corinthians 12 is the passage about there's one body and many members. And notice how we're all given different gifts. Why? In verse 7 is given to each one for the profit of all. We are to be a servant to help other people. Romans, the 12th chapter, we have another passage about being given different gifts. We're all being given different gifts. Notice the end of five. We being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You and I have a responsibility to each other. We are members of one another. Look in 1 Peter 4 and 10. Notice he says, talking about we have received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. See how the emphasis is each time. God has given it to us. God's given it to us so that we could serve others. So that we can make other people's lives blessed. Therapeutic. Healing. But what happens if we don't do that? If we don't do that, we read in 48, 49, and 50, and we close with this. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. What happens when you think, oh, Jesus isn't coming right now. I'm, I'm young. I'm, I'm only a 20-something. I don't have to worry about the second coming. Oh, I'm, I'm in middle age. I'm not, or I'm older, but I don't think Jesus is coming, and I don't feel like I'm going to die anytime soon. I'm not worried about this. Not only are we not ready for the second coming, but we lose focus and we start hurting other people. Notice what this this man does. He begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. You see, it becomes immoral and he starts doing things that hurts other people spiritually. And the master of the servant will come on that day when he is not looking for him at an hour that he is not aware of, and he will cut him in two. That sounds harsh, but this is what the Bible says. He will cut him in two and appoint him his, his portions with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Five times that's used in the Gospel of Matthew to talk about the bitter end of those servants who are unfaithful, the gnashing of teeth. What's the point? When individuals think that his coming is delayed, And so they delay the response to be servants. And so then they delay their response to help others. And then they're not ready when Jesus comes. So they lose focus and they become immoral and they become servants that if people follow their examples, they are harmed spiritually. It's not a a true account, but it's an illustration that William Barclay uses. He says that three demons met with Satan to talk about how they could win the most souls to hell. 
And the first one says, Satan, what I propose that I want to do is I want to convince everyone that there is no God. And he said, you'll convince a few, but you won't get many, but you can try. The second one says, Satan, what I want to do is convince people that there is no hell. And he says, well, you can convince some of that, but you won't convince a lot, but have at it. The third one says, Satan, what I would like to do is just convince people to not hurry. They've got time. And Satan smiled. And he said, you will win the majority. Listen. Procrastination is a tool of Satan that not only causes us not to be ready, but please get this in this morning's lesson. It causes us not to be ready to help other people. If I'm not healthy spiritually, I can't help other people be ready. To your left and your right, and in front and behind you, there are people that need you. We aren't saved to walk this way alone. We need each other. We need encouragement. We need strength. We need healing. We need nurturing. And we're the ones that offer it to carry on the work that our Lord started when He was on this earth years ago. We carry on that work until He comes again so that when He comes, the household will be found healthy. Brethren, if this group right here and the ones that sit here in a little more than an hour from now, if we do not keep this church healthy, I'm talking about this congregation, if we do not keep this congregation healthy, nobody else can. This is our household that God has placed in our hands and we are stewards. Let's be found faithful and wise. This morning, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing. Hold again.